take your Bibles and turn to Colossians chapter 3. Men, if you've already looked at your bulletins and uh, remembered that we're going to talk about husbands today, I hope you didn't break out in a rash or anything like that. Uh, I was thinking as, uh, as I came in here, I saw Josh Jackson, Joshua Olbin Jackson. And uh, it's funny because Josh grew up here at Bear Valley Church and undoubtedly he heard about uh, messages about being a husband and other things. Uh, sitting here and going, oh, what does this matter? Like many of you might sit here this morning and do this. But Josh is now married, and uh, so this is applicable to you, Josh. So listen up and pay attention, take notes. Okay, thank you. Let's pray and just ask God's blessing on our time. God, thank you for the opportunity of being before your word. Uh, Thank you for the grace of the gospel. Uh, God, you know how we struggle. You know how we're sinners and still struggle with uh, getting rid of the old flesh. God, I pray that you would grant us the grace to obey you today. And I pray especially that husbands would open up their hearts to your word. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, uh, before we look at God's word, I, I, I want I want to tell you that this message is really focused on what happens uh, when we come back to the castle after the day's over and we come back to the place that we call our home. And it's not that it doesn't mean anything when we're out and about, but as I think about who the men are represented here today, uh, you come from very different walks of life and uh, very different careers some of you are in construction and you go out the day and you uh, build things. And the way you build things is you take lumber and you cut it uh, to your specifications and then you nail it in place. And if it's, you know, there's a phrase that they use in construction, uh, not real fine construction people, but uh, they say, cut it long and hammer it home. And there's another phrase that kind of goes along with that, too. It's, uh, if it doesn't fit, get a bigger hammer. And you just kind of wail on things until they get to be in the places that you want them to be. On the construction site, uh, one of the things that's super important is speed. If you're slow, uh, you're losing money. So speed is very important. And at the end of the day, uh, you have a goal that uh, a building would be uh, resurrected or constructed before you. And that that is your goal and that's what you drive to. On a construction site, it's a rough place. There's a lot of yelling and there's a lot of uh, pressure. Uh, but for the most part, none of it's personal. And at the end of the day, the men go home and it's no big deal. Maybe some of you uh, would rather picture yourself as an engineer and you, not the kind of choo-choo type engineer, but the one with the big calculators where you're going like this all day long and you're making calculations. You sit at a desk and you're working on some fancy plane that's going to go faster or be able to do things that no other plane has ever done before. You sit with your calculator and you make calculations. And at your job, it's super important that it's not just kind of the right answer. That it's the exact right answer. 
that it's not just about being close when you were making this calculation, but it is the exact right answer. In fact, the right answer is all that's important. As you troubleshoot and as you uh, uh, design things, it has to be right. And if it's not right, eventually you'll get fired because you haven't been able to do what is required for you. There are others that have different kind of jobs. Jobs where all day long you're paid to compete. You're in sales or you're competing against the people around you or the companies around you. You do problem solving. Uh, you're paid to come in first. You're, come to, you're, you're paid to be the lowest or the highest depending on which, which is better. Maybe you're the boss and you tell people what to do and when to do it. You climb mountains, you wear capes, you slay dragons all day long. And at the end of the day, you come home to your castle. And this morning, we're really going to focus on what happens when you come home to the castle. And specifically, your relationship with your wife. Let me read to you uh, from Colossians chapter 3. If you'd stand in honor of God's word. I'd like to read to you verse 17 through the end of the chapter. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not in a way that is eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily, as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. You may be seated. This morning, if you're here last week, we talked about this too, but uh, this is in the context of Christ, uh, of Christ being superior and overall better than every other option, being the one that is worth your whole life. And this morning, I, I feel compelled to say this once again and to really make the point that this isn't just that Christ is better than everyone. It's that he's better for you than anyone. That for you, it's important to see this as personal, that you don't just have some kind of theology that Christ is better than all, and, and yet you go back to your own little life, and you're still in charge, and you're still... Uh, listening to other people and other influences, but that Christ is more than enough for you, that he's superior in your life for you. This morning, just before we go on, I want to make some clarification to wives and just say once again, I'm not trying to get at you again, ladies. I know last week was your week. Uh, but in verse 18, I had some feedback that I wasn't as clear as I should have been. And that may be true. So I wanted to clarify that today. Submission in verse 18 is the idea, the definition being that you would willingly uh, place yourself under 
And in this case, your husband. It's the idea of submission is willingly placing yourself underneath. And that being your husband. And in this case, as we look at this passage, it's not that you keep your opinions to yourself and never speak out, but that you do not take that final word and do not demand your final rights. This will come into play in all kinds of different ways in your life. You think about where you live and how to spend money, how to discipline your kids and how to educate them. This will be worked out. All these things are called to be worked out in the context of Christ once again. And as we look at this passage this morning, if you look back to verse 17, I believe that this is the whatever. He says, and whatever you do, and whatever you do, and he points to the wife's relationship to her husband. This week we're going to look at the husband's relationship to his wife. And he'll go on to talk about children and parents and slaves and masters. That all this is coming into the context of Christ. And this morning we're turning to husbands. Husbands, I want to tell you at the outset, um, it, we're paid to win, right? We're paid to win. We like to compete. We enjoy the thrill of victory. But the agony of defeat, we can barely stand, right? Uh, if we fail too much at one thing, we just quit and back away. I want to tell you at the outset that this verse will not display your greatness. It will display your weakness. It is not about you being perfect and about you being successful and saying, I am the best. But this is where God will point to you and say, this is your weakness. But I want to tell you that this flows out of this amazing relationship with Christ. We'll come back to this over and over again. And the reason that you need Jesus, the reason that you need Jesus isn't because you're the best isn't because you can compete and win, isn't because you're successful or great, it's quite the opposite, is that you constantly come up short. And you say, well, is this a life of just failure? No, it's a life of God bringing success and obedience to your life where you can succeed. And this is what we're talking about this morning. So hang on, man, well, here we go. If you look at uh, what he shares with us, Paul shares with us under the inspiration of God. Verse 19, he's, he addresses husbands and he says, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. Now, that's the plural husband matching up with the plural wives. Okay? It's not, you, you, know, what, you know where I'm going with this? <laughs> Could be a bad thing if some of you read this and he says, this says we're supposed to have more than one wife. I can see it here. Um, wives, no, husbands with your wives to love them, to love them. I think about uh, this word love and immediately I think to Valentine's Day and I think to uh, different uh, um, anniversary trips. I think of weddings and just new, Scott, you listen to this, this is for husbands, right? Been married how long? Like a month. Like a month. He's got it all figured out, I'm sure. Uh, we, uh, I think about all these romantic and just exciting things, and yet, as I look at this passage, that's not what it's talking about. 
He uses this word love and it's in the context of Christ. It's in the context of the New Testament where this word love is used of God loving people. And I think about that and I think about John 3.16. God so loved the world. And remember men, we're trying to understand what love is. This is probably somewhat uh, a constant challenge for us as men to understand what love is. But we got to understand it if we are able to do it. You know, we need to know what we're supposed to be doing. He says, it says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. God loved the world, so he did something. And this love displayed for us what we are called to do, men, in regards to our wife. I think of 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. You get the picture of love for what God did for his people, what Christ did on the cross. And you get the picture is that, that, that his love, his love was laying down his life for us. A few years ago, I was living up... Uh, up north, and uh, I was—I saw a man that I knew, not a believer. He was in Costco, and um, he was—he uh, was in Costco, and I, I saw him there. I knew him from the community, and he had a big thing of flowers in his hand—a huge thing of flowers, Costco flowers. They're beautiful, and I—I I couldn't help but notice the flowers, but I couldn't also help notice the shirt he was wearing. He was wearing a Hooters T-shirt. Uh, if you don't know what that is, it's like a bar where scantily clad women are in there and there's a bunch of idiot men in there. And, um, and he's wearing this shirt with this huge thing of flowers and, uh, he's with his son, actually, his son, his teenage son. And I stopped to talk to him and I, I was taking it all in. I was looking at the flowers, looking at the shirt, looking at the flowers, looking at the shirt and looking at him going, you know, he's talking, he says, you know why I'm buying these flowers, don't you? And I'm thinking, because you're an idiot? Uh, um, that wasn't the right answer. But he, uh, he, 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 says, he says, I buy these flowers for my wife. I get these flowers every week, every Friday for my wife to show her that I love her. And he said, my dad did this, and this is how my dad showed me this, and so I'm doing this as well. And I'm thinking, you're not getting it. But, but I want you to get this picture. That's the picture of the world that says, do something, do something, buy her something, get her something, uh, cross off that thing on the list, just get it off the list, just do something. God's picture of love is this, that he gave, he gave. He didn't give something like a bouquet of flowers. He didn't do a chore or two. But what it says is that Christ displayed this love when he laid down his life. He laid down his life. Man, this is the picture of love that God calls us to. He says, he says, lay down your life. Give of yourself. Sacrificially and selflessly give. I think about this relationship um, that that God has with us and it, it, it being the model of love that I'm supposed to have for my wife that I'm called to. And I, I, the first thing I want to point out to you is, 
Did I ask Jesus to go to the cross? Did any of you ask for Jesus to go to, go to the cross? You know what? Um, the, the reality is we didn't even know we had a problem. It was like we knew something was wrong. Every one of us in our sin, we know something is wrong. We're, we're constantly grabbing and, and, and grabbing at things and saying, well, maybe this will make my life come. Oh, that's not going to work. How about this one over here? And we're constantly grabbing and searching and, and trying to fill our lives with things that make us empty. And yet, and yet, what we need is a Savior. And, and I, this is very important for you to see that God gave, God gave, and He loved in such a way that we didn't even know we needed it. He took care of a need that we didn't even see. We knew something was wrong, but He gave in a way, a selfless, sacrificial way, exactly what we needed. I think about how Christ did this. Um, It's easy, as I shared before, it's easy to pay an amount of money, right? Uh, if you go down to Costco, I think it's about 15 bucks. You can get that bouquet of flowers. It's good to do, man. It's good to do. I wasn't uh, bemoaning or saying that it's bad to give flowers. Ladies, nod your head if you'd like to get some flowers every once in a while, okay? Preferably delivered at the place of work where everyone else can see them as well, right? Uh, but, but, but we like those things. You like gifts, right? You like gifts, Right, ladies? Ladies, you've got to help me out here. You're, you're, you're not getting nothing. Yeah. Okay? You like gifts, right? But I, but I want to tell you, men, this is really important for you to get here. Okay? Loving your wife is just not buying her stuff. When Jesus did this, you've you got to think through, how was this picture of love? How did he pay for it? Paid with himself. Paid with himself. There wasn't a sense of like, oh, this costs 10 bucks, 100 bucks, 1,000 bucks, million bucks. It wasn't something that was paid and it was like, ooh, I can't believe you, you spent that much. Jesus laid down his life. This was a picture of love. He laid down himself. Another point I want to bring out is that as Jesus was here on this earth, um, what did he do with his disciples, those people who were his followers? What did he do with them? He walked with them, right? He walked with them. And as he walked with them, he conversed, but he spent time with them. He walked through life with them. And then when Jesus died, uh, he, he goes to the cross, he dies, resurrected. He came back. What did he do again? You know, he he talked with them again, right? He he spent time with them again, and then he ascended. He left. So that was his. That was the. He was done walking with them, right? No, no, he wasn't done. You look through the New Testament churches, and it talks about this relationship that just continues to go on, where Jesus walks with us through life, that we have relationship with the Father through the Son, that that He is with us. And you know what that is? It's a display of his love. Jesus didn't just come, pay the price, and says, I'm out of here. Good luck to you all. He says, I will walk with you. I will be with you. 
sends his spirit to be an ever-presence with us and to guide and direct us. You see, this is the picture of God's love for us. Let me ask you about patience. How has God shown you patience? Does he have a three strike and then you're out? What if he had three strikes and you're out? You know, we have a three strikes rule in our state, I believe. And uh, what happens after that? You're, you're done. You know, you're done. Thanks for playing. You get some nice parting gifts. You have a nice place to stay. You think about that and you think, well, that sounds pretty harsh. Three strikes and you're out. And, you know, and I'm, you know, 70 times seven, right? If that was the math equation, tell me how many of us would be standing right here? How many of us would be willing to to add up with the big calculator, you know, all the sins that we've committed every time we've committed them? And so what does this display in Jesus, in our relationship with the Father through the Son? It displays a patient forgiveness that goes on and on and on. And what is that? It's the love of God worked out in your life the love of God. And this is what he says to us men, husbands. He says, this is the kind of love that we are to love our wives with. Husband, love your wives. He's not saying, love them like everybody else is doing. He's not saying, read some tips on the internet of how to have a better marriage. It's, it's, not, it's not some other thing. He's saying, love like I have loved. Love like I have loved you. Let me ask you uh, one more question as we think about love. Did he love you? Did he love you because you were worth it? Did he love you because you're worth it? Man, this is important for you to get here. Did he love you because you're worth it? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 19, it says, We love because He first loved us. And it's important to understand this as we see the love of Christ worked out in our own life and our marriage, men, is that where does that all begin? It begins with Him. That He loved us not because we were worthy. Not because we were good enough. Not because of any of those things, but he chose to love us. You say, well, I can't do that. I I agree, you can't. You can't. You say, well, how's that going to work? If she's not acting lovable, if I can say it that way, how am I supposed to love her? If she's making this hard on me, you you know, Kevin, I'm, I'm tracking with you. I understand what the Bible says, but you don't know my wife. And if you knew my wife, you wouldn't be saying that, Kevin. Because she's a lot to deal with. She is a lot to deal with. I'm not talking about anybody here. I'm just talking about hypothetically someone could say that. Think about that. But, but get this. It's super important. How, why do we love? Because he first loved us. What's the context of Colossians chapter 3? Christ. The superiority of Christ. Because we have relationship with Him, it changes everything. And you get this, that because... I said this last week, and I want to say it again. 
These verses, I do not believe, are contingent one to the other. They're in context, but not contingent. What I mean by that is that it doesn't say, if, this is what it would say. I don't think it says this. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. If, if, husbands, you, you love your wives, then you, then the ladies should submit. And it, it doesn't say husbands love your wives if they submit and if they don't, be harsh with them. Okay? These aren't connected one to the other. They're connected and in the context of your relationship with Jesus. And so you're saying, well, how can I live with, with a wife that's not submissive or with a wife that's difficult? Or, or how can I do this? You're calling me to something that seems impossible. It is impossible, but this is what I want to tell you. It's not based upon your relationship with your wife. It's based upon your relationship with the Lord. That is super important for us to get. Because you know what? Men, uh, there are days that your wife's going to be tough to live with and tough to love. I don't know what you're laughing about, men. There are many more days that you're hard to submit to. And you think about this, and we're going to get to kids. You know what, kids? Sometimes your parents blow it royally. They don't know what they're doing, and they're doing it wrong. Okay? But it's not based upon whether they do what's right, that I have to do what's right. It's based upon your relationship with Jesus. I want to say this just in the midst of talking about this. Ladies, wives... You can make this easy on your husband. You can make this easy on your husband. Or you can make this extremely difficult. And that you will, uh, you will be the trial that God refines his character in. Okay? Uh, this, this, is, he does, this command here, as I shared with you, is a command one way or the other. It's what God wants for us. But you can either make it easy or difficult for him. He says, uh, husbands love your wives. And then he also says one other thing, which is probably the same thing. Okay? And do not be harsh with them. And do not be harsh with them. The word harsh, other translations uh, have it as being embittered or make bitter. And the idea being here with rough or... uh, sinful treatment of a husband to their wife it makes the wife bitter over time it's the idea that time after time as we act towards our wives they become bitter against us and the lord okay and he's saying husbands don't do that don't do that it seems quite obvious but and yet he says don't be harsh with them I say that it sounds quite obvious, and yet um, part of my own struggle of preaching this passage is that I'm a husband. And as I reflect over my week and think of different instances where I've talked to my own wife, and I said, you know what, that was harsh. That wasn't kind the way I said that. I think about um, what he calls us to, and, and what he's saying here is, don't treat your wife in such a way that that will make her bitter. That that will, 
in your treating of her, if you're rough with her, that over time that you will be the instrument that, that ruins her heart. Don't do that. I think about um, what I started with this morning. And it probably has a lot to do with your job and the way you go about your job. Connect the dots with me, uh, men. Uh, if you treat your wife like lumber, they will become bitter. Okay? If you picture yourself as that construction worker and you say, this is how I get things done. I grab the lumber. I cut it to my specifications and then I jam it in place and beat it with a hammer. Okay? If that's your, hopefully physically you wouldn't do that, but like, if that's the way your heart is towards your wife, it won't, it will be a matter of time before they become bitter and distant. Do you see that? That this is the danger of us bringing our tactics of war into the castle. I think about the the one who's the engineer with his calculator and he's making these computations and he always has to be the smartest at work and get the right answer and come up with the right idea and be the best troubleshooter. If you bring that home and you start going, you're doing that wrong. You're wrong. It's 17, not 16. I can't believe you're so stupid. Uh, and, And you're going over it over and over and over again. You're blown it here. You you didn't have the right. There's a better way to do that. Can't you do this right? Why didn't you get this done? You haven't measured up. You're not right. You bring that home. It may work great at work, by the way. It may work great. But if you bring that home, you're making a bitter wife. You're not loving her as God has called us to love. If your wife has to listen to you have the right answer all the time, this over time will show that you are into yourself and not being that sacrificial lover of your wife. When you come home and you have to compete with her and make sure that you win all the time because competition is what you're about, this will not make a sweet wife but will embitter her. When you care more about getting your way than about how your wife responds to your bitter treatment of her. This will result in something that is not honoring to the Lord. As I think about these couple of passages that we've gone through, about the wife and the husband, it makes me wonder, why these? Why these? Uh, It's not like this is a husband's only problem, right? Right? It's not like there couldn't be a longer list of things we could talk about. In fact, there could be chapters and books written about these things, right? Listing out all the things that are wrong. I have My understanding is, first of all, that he has pointed to something that will reveal the principle, right? That he has taken the whatever. How, how does this play out? How does loving Christ play out in your life? Here's where it plays out. And he points to something big, both with the ladies and with the men, something that's core to who they are, as well as a difficulty, maybe something that we buck or push away and say, nah, I'm not going to do that. He takes some of these things and he says, I want to bring them to the forefront because I want to be honored in your your marriage and in your home. I have three things to just kind of tie up our time here. Encouragements to men, they're, Direct and short. 
Three things. The first one is this. Men, think partnership. Think partnership. I know that most of you, uh, if not have participated, uh, know the concept of the three-legged race. The three-legged race. Um, when I think about a three-legged race with my wife, um, <laughs> there's some problems with that. There's some problems with that. And uh, those of you who are men who are um, were thinking that your kids would be evened out by your marriage choice, uh, like myself, what would you think of about a three-legged race with my wife? You, you think about that right now. And, and the way I think about things like that is, just pick her up and run. Just pick her up and run. Don't work with her. Just pick her up and run. It's just about getting to the finish line, right? I want to tell you, men, that your relationship with your wife is designed by God, designed by God, as far back as the garden, right? As far back as creation, that your wife would be in partnership with you, would be a helper to you. And for you to take off running and not care about you being together, working together as a partnership, is not what God has for you. That is not the loving husband that he wants you to be. So think partnership. Secondly, I want to tell you men, think relationship. Think relationship. What this is, is not just a a separating of responsibilities in the home. I think most of us, uh, because of the difficulty of two sinners coming together in marriage, most of us get the idea uh, your stuff, my stuff. Your stuff, my stuff. Uh, those of you who are uh, um, empty nesters or retired right now, you have separate rooms. Not that you sleep in, but you have, this is my craft room or my sewing room or my scrapbooking room or my junk room or whatever that room is, okay? And then the, the man says, well, I have the man cave. Where this is my stuff. And this is where, and you go do your stuff over there and I'll do my stuff over here. Okay. You come to tasks and, and chores in the home and you, you, you say, well, um, bills, that's your stuff. Take care of it. If you mess it up, it's your fault. Um, and, uh, or, or something else in the home. This is supposed to be spiders or something like that. You know, you, it's your job. Take care of that. Get them out of here. Okay, you you have these roles that are separate. But what I want to tell you is this. What I want to tell you is this, that he has designed us for relationship, for us to talk with one another, not just in partnership, getting it done, but to have relationship. I love the fact I already brought it up. I love the fact that Jesus says that he will walk with us. He will walk with us. He displays for us the relationship. What did Jesus do when he walked? He talked. How do you feel about this? He asked questions. They responded. He answered. They asked questions of him. They went back and forth, back and forth. They had relationship. This is God's design for your marriage, that you'd have relationship. You'd be in partnership. You'd have relationship. Third thing I want to tell you, men, is this. Think about the love of God. Think about the love of God. To think about how Christ has showered his love upon you. How it has been paid for. 
how it has been uh, displayed in your life, how, how you know that God loves you, to just dwell on that and think about that. And then, as that is your basis, love your wife. Love your wife. Think about the love of God for you and then go love your wife. Do you see what's happening here as we go through this passage? I love this. I love how this is coming together. And it came together long ago before I was even around. But do you see how this is coming together? Last week we talked about wives, husbands, children, parents. What we are seeing here is this. this is, it's a beautiful family touched by Christ. Do you get that? That it's a beautiful home touched by Christ. You say some of this is super hard. It is hard, but it's harder to do the opposite, okay? Uh, if you don't want to listen to Jesus, go ahead. But You do it to your own detriment, right? It's going to be tough times for you. Say, I don't want to do that. Well, um, this is the God who loves you so much. This is what he calls you to. If you want to do it another way, you will experience the pain. But if you follow this, guess what's going to happen in your home? A beautiful family touched by Christ. That's what's going to happen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. I pray that you would uh, continue to work in our our families and homes. God, I thank you for each one represented here today. And I pray that uh, their relationship with Christ would be the thing that drives them and keeps them where they need to be. Um, God, I ask that you would bless these homes with the joy of obedience, the joy that fills a home that's following after you. God, thank you for caring for us. In Jesus' name, amen.